0: Are you one of our regular students for Self-Improvement Wednesday? Each week you get to learn something new. Your lesson this week, the master Australian bark painter, John Marajol. Your teacher is Elizabeth Ann McGregor, Director of the Museum of Contemporary Art here in Sydney. Good afternoon.
1: Afternoon, Richard. This is
0: the, one of the most significant painters in Australia, one of the most significant Indigenous painters in the world, and particular uh, champion of the use of paint on bark.
1: Absolutely. I think he is one of the most important artists working right now. John Margell, otherwise known as Balang, that's his traditional name, a man from Arnhem Land in the Northern Territory, born in the early 1950s. He has developed his technique... A very traditional technique originally, work painting on bark, stringy bark, a eucalypt, uh, using ochre, using obviously materials all drawn from the land. But what I think is really wonderful about, if you look back over John's work over the years, is the way the work has developed. It has not frozen in time, as is often the assumption about traditional Aboriginal art, as people like to make those ridiculous distinctions, which is why uh, the exhibition we did last year was called I Am the Old and the new and I think that sums up beautifully just his importance and how he straddles um, perhaps what you might call traditional Mm -hmm. with more contemporary work
0: Okay, talk to me about his parents because they're kind of interesting figures too aren't they?
1: Well he grew up on country um, up in Arnhem Land Um, his parents were both very cultured, his mother was a a craftswoman Uh, she was known for baking incredible bush bush bread using obviously local ingredients but she made marvellous string dilly bags so she was a weaver his father on the other hand was more of a Healer, a traditional healer, but he also made fish traps, which of course now we also have in our museum collection. So uh, things that were used traditionally to catch fish uh, were, were very useful. Have now are now revered as as wonderful mm. works of art.
0: Okay, how does uh, how does he start painting?
1: So he his father teaches him how to paint, and uh, when he finishes at school, and he begins to work with a technique called Rark,
0: which r- is r- r-
1: R-A-R-R-K. Scottish people can say this very well. Rark. So r <laughs> R-A-R-R-K. R-R-K, okay, And it's a kind of cross-hatching and it's done with a very fine sedge brush. So all his materials are taken from the land and it's incredibly fine, tiny little strokes um, and they kind of ripple over the surface. So you have this accumulation of these tiny strokes. And the early work, he's really, like most Aboriginal artists of this era, he's telling his stories. He's telling the story of the land, of the sacred sites, of the spirits, of the animals, the totems. And there's incredible um, visual power to them. Um, there's almost a shimmering, as I say, of the surface. So he there are a lot of bark painters, but there's a way in which his work is on another level altogether. It's how, when you look at great art, there are no words mm-hmm. for it. You just kind of go, wow, he really is extraordinary.
0: Uh, you say there's no words, but shimmer, <laughs> shimmer is great, shimmer isn't is Shimmer is a very good um, one. So how does he, you, you said part of the joy is how he changes. How does he change? How does he take this so traditional to technique? begin
1: with, he was working very figuratively. You can see the dreaming, se- the, the, the rainbow serpent and the, and the totems and the animals actually in the work, in among the cross hatching, the barramundi, the crocodile, the possum, these tot- totemic animals. But as he begins to develop as an artist, he shifts into a more, it looks more abstract. In other words, there are not immediate figurative references. However, what's really interesting is that he is actually painting ceremony. He's painting sacred Mardayin, which are these incredible ceremonies, which we really as as non-Aboriginal people don't really know about nor should know about. So I love the fact that you're looking at actually these secret paintings, which you can appreciate aesthetically. But if you're not me, if you come from Arnhem Land or from his tradition or from his clan, you might understand it in a completely different way.
0: Mm, you're looking into this into this mystery. He uh, he had a lot of his. Uh, international success really uh, comes in a big wave in the 80s. He ends up at the George Pompidou Centre.
1: Yes, that was an an amazing exhibition at the end of the, uh, in in 1989, called Magicien de la Terre, which was a moment when the art world finally discovered that not all art happens in Europe and North America, quite frankly, and it was very controversial at the time. All these curators went out and they plucked artists from the Western Desert and from Arnhem Land and and from Africa and from South America and, put them all together in the Pompidou. But looking back on now, it was groundbreaking and uh, um, Balang actually exhibited there two, uh, a series of magnificent barks and we're very fortunate at the MCA because we actually acquired one for our collection. So the MCA was recognising the importance of recognising this work as contemporary, not as um, something that was just about telling stories, mm-hmm. but actually something that went on to a new aesthetic level.
0: The French continued to love him. He ends up painting the ceilings yes. and pillars of the Musée de, de... Cape uh, Omelie. Thank Cape you. Omelie, a Thank very, you.
1: very wonderful museum that opened um, in the mid-2000s and a number of Indigenous artists from Australia were invited to go out there and undertake new commissions, of which Balang was one. And th- at this point, I think his uh, reputation went into the stratosphere because he ended up on the opening, on the cover of Time magazine Um, Which is really an extraordinary achievement for uh, uh, any artist, but particularly an artist from here and particularly an artist from remote. Arnhem Land. So that was really a very significant moment and of course he went on to exhibit in a number of international exhibitions which was uh, really quite wonderful.
0: You mentioned that exhibition I am the old and the new at the MCA that's actually touring for instance at the moment it's at the Blue Mountains.
1: Yeah it's just closed there, it's just moving on to, to Cairns and the really interesting thing about this exhibition is that we put it together with language at its heart and in fact when we were developing it we developed a website in Kuninku which is language and and my team were all learning in Kooninkoo and you could walk around the office and hear people going yok yok and Nyal yod and these wonderful Aboriginal Look, names. It makes, it makes a break from the <laughs> Scottish words. <laughs> it certainly does. And so this idea that we're keeping language alive through an exhibition um, first bilingual exhibition of this kind anywhere and I think that for John Balang himself to be so closely involved in that and we didn't do it chronologically, it was done thematically around the storytelling, around the waterholes of Around the the, the the sacred totems and so on, so that you you have this extraordinary um, display of the cosmos according to Aboriginal people, and of sacred of sacred sight and sacred sacred stories. Some of which, as I said, are completely hidden.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which you can uh, just guess at the meanings. Hey, uh, what a great lesson! Thank you so much. Thank you. There's Elizabeth Ann McGregor. You can listen again, of course, to her lesson online at abc.net.au/sydney. There you'll also find details of how to subscribe to the free Self-Improvement Wednesday podcast next week. Ecosystem services, what are they and how important are they with Professor Richard Kingsford from the University of New South Wales at Self-Improvement Wednesday next week.